And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon whatever the case may be. Wherever you are on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when, in our current campaign, we are somehow talking to ETs. And that's kind of a very broad term as we went into last night. Tonight is kind of part two of our decoding of Maria Wheatley's transmissions and recordings from Stonehenge a couple weeks ago, actually literally uh, two weeks ago on the 20th of February of 2022. If you have been following our work, that makes perfect sense. If you haven't, well, the next three hours are going to be very interesting for you because while the world is dissolving in war, there are much more important, I know that sounds extraordinary, much more important things moving in the dark above the planet, kind of encompassing what's going on here. And by an extraordinary um, set of, of provable lines of evidence, what is going on in Ukraine is reflected in the transmissions we have received from someone out there or up there or beyond there and I sound a little ambiguous because even though we're having verifiable communications with someone or something we're not exactly sure who we're talking to and again if you're familiar with this campaign which began back in December December 4th uh, all this will make sense if you're a newcomer if you came over to kind of poke around and see what Hoagland was up to after he'd been away from coast for seven years and suddenly popped up uh, last Wednesday night with George, well, stick around. The evening is going to get very, very interesting. Uh, let me start with a couple of news items. If you go to our website, because we have a section of the show called Radio with Pictures, and what you do is you click on our URL, which is the other side of midnight.com. If you're listening on a smartphone, it should be pretty easy. If you're listening on a computer, it's also easy. Open another window, the other side of midnight.com. And then you'll see a banner at the top of the page. Tonight's banner reads rather uh, dramatically as a continuation of last night Continuing Stonehenge ET Transmissions New Responses Part 2 as part of our Open Hailing Frequencies experiment. Gosh, I wonder where I got that from. Anyway, click on that banner. That will take you to the guest page. And on the guest page, you will find, um, and I just clicked on it, and it went somewhere really screwy. I'm not quite sure why. Anyway, um, on the that will take you to the guest page. Under the guest page, you will see fast links to items. My name John Womack, David Sarita, Thomas Mathers, Maria Wheatley, Dennis Stone, and Ra, which is, well, we'll get into who Ra is. Ra is a very interesting new member of the team. His real name is Ralph, but for reasons that are connected to some of the responses that we've been getting via the uh, radio, um, and where Maria is going next as our intrepid um, uh, away team uh, protagonist, Ra is very appropriately in 
interesting company tonight with all the rest of us who are trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, I'm, I, I gave a kind of a long prelude last night to how we got into this. And so since this is part two, if you're a member of Club 19.5, you simply go to the archive and you listen to part one, which is last night. Um, if you're not a member of Club 19.5, you need to be for several reasons. One is we've got probably now a thousand hours of shows I have done sitting in this chair. Good grief. A thousand hours over seven years going back to 2015 when art conned me into doing this and I use that term with great specificity oh boy did he run a a number on me oh you'll love it yes sure um the other reason you want to click on that because besides a thousand shows is this is one direct way you can help this research campaign you know any extra money we get from subscriptions and at the moment, we're just about breaking even, so we need more members. Goes to fund computer programs, to fund um, experts, to fund travel, to fund technology. Um, you know, the radios that we're using cost something. Uh, computer algorithms, specifically if we have to hire someone who's a programmer to write specific code to look for the codings in the radio transmissions we're getting by machine as opposed to doing it as uh, some of our uh, participants are doing by hand because doing it by hand we can only cover a fraction of the radio responses that we have recorded since beginning this on December 4th and there's always this terrible danger that we're missing something that the operative paradigm in SETI transmissions SETI being the search for extraterrestrial intelligence with the unspoken part uh, being by radio. The, the real danger is that uh, whoever was at the other end of the phone is not just repeating endlessly the same few frequencies or the f- same few communications or uh, references to sacred geometry, etc., etc., but they're in fact giving us a whole bunch of additional information further down in the recording uh, that we're not picking up because we just don't have the personnel or the time or most critically the computer technology to do it. So if you are an expert in cryptography, if you're a former CIA analyst, if you're a computer whiz, if you write code for fun and games because you just can't do anything but write code, uh, you need to get hold of us where it says uh, uh, over on the upper left on our home page where it says contact us. Um, that's over on the kind of the middle of that string of things you can can click on on the on the home page. And we will answer you. In fact, one of our researchers, uh, Thomas Mathers, came to us. He's a award-winning uh, producer, radio producer, music producer. He has been in the, in the business for decades. Uh, he's also very conversant with sacred sites, sacred geometry, um, native wisdom, um, you know, first people's mythologies and background. And so his, his, his uh, expertise is perfect to try to help us decode what we're dealing with. And he came to us as a volunteer by simply... Uh, uh, clicking on that link and uh, opening a, 
conversation, i.e. opening hailing frequencies. It's really a good term that Gene created way, way back when. Anyway, um, tonight as part two, what we're doing, if you click on that banner and then you click on my name in the fast links, that will take you down to the section of the website we call Radio with Pictures. And the first two items uh, I've had up there since Christmas, which of course deal with the Webb Space Telescope. Just as we are breaking totally new ground with this incredibly productive extraterrestrial transmission experiment, because we're getting answers. We're getting replicable, verifiable answers from someone, which is what science is all about. If you follow the story of the Webb Space Telescope, and we've kind of been following it from day one, from the launch on Christmas morning, uh, ultimately this telescope could be able to shed light in a very interesting way on who we are talking to. And I don't have time tonight to go into all the details, but the first item, number one, is the blog. It's the Webb Telescope blog. It lists progressive developments in what's called the commissioning of the telescope now, the alignment of the mirrors, the checking out of the instruments, the taking of test data, culminating in a fully functional telescope we're expecting some time around July. And then we're going to get our first images from the largest space telescope ever put into orbit. It's orbiting in what's called a halo orbit, which is about a six-month orbit, way out a million miles behind the Earth away from the sun. And about July, we're going to get our first images of galaxies and extrasolar planets. And, I mean, it, it's going to blow your socks off. So, Now, why is that important? Well, the extrasolar planets part could be where whoever we're talking to is hanging out. So there is a kind of a connection between these two research programs, ours and NASA's relating to Webb. Item number two is kind of like, where is Webb? Shows you a lot of background details, temperatures of the instrumentation, where it is at the L2 point, where they are and the checkout procedures and all that. So those two kind of go hand in hand. And I've made the decision uh, to keep them up at the top so that you have a ready reference. If you want to find out something about Web, simply go to the other side of midnight, click on those two links, and it will tell you everything you need to know up to a point. Then, of course, there are the weekly programs where when we actually get this thing functioning, when NASA does, we're going to probably do some programs with some of our guest astrophysicists as to what the first data means. And that will open up a tremendously new window. Item number three. Um, I put this up a week or two ago because um, not only did Maria Wheatley go into Stonehenge for the first time on the 4th of February, but she went in again, even despite the British hurricane. I mean, literally a hurricane winds above 75 miles per hour. She couldn't get anybody to go with her. All those big hulking guys that kind of hang around her and help her do various things. They all stayed home. And so she was out there in a car alone in the wind blowing 80, 85, 90 miles an hour. And she was able to get within two miles uh, on the first try of Stonehenge and down to about, uh, I think, less than a thousand feet 
on the second, and we've got some maps to show you later in the show so you can see exactly where she is. As part of that transmission and recording session, one of our analysts, David Sarita, found a stunning um, connection between the transmissions on February 20th and Putin's invasion of Ukraine four days later. And that was reflected in some results that he posted last night, because not only is there a connection found in those transmissions, again, from someone we do not know uh, about the invasion of Ukraine overall, but they were very, very specific, because in the numbers, uh, and I may have David reiterate, you know, the the kind of a Reader's Digest version of what he did to get those numbers, um, we got two more hits, again, four days before the invasion. One was the Russian uh, attack and takeover of Chernobyl, which is in the northern part of Ukraine. Remember, in 1986, Chernobyl literally, because it was a graphite reactor, caught fire because of a runaway meltdown, blew its top, spreading radioactive debris across thousands of square miles in the northern part of Ukraine, in in Europe, in Russia, depending upon how the winds were blowing. And this has been a perennial problem now since 86, for decades. And they've sealed it in this big, huge concrete and steel coffin, which is corroding, so it has to be upkept and all that. Well, it was one of the first places that the Russians, as they were coming down from Belarus, um, invaded and took over. The second, which also showed up in the numbers, again, four days before the invasion and weeks before it happened, two weeks before it happened, uh, was the largest atomic uh, nuclear reactor in Ukraine and the largest in Europe. It supplies about 25% of the total electrical power for Ukraine and the Russians in a firefight, which used tank shells and bounced uh, tracers off the containment vessels and freaked out an awful lot of people who watched it live uh, by satellite. Uh, they took over the second nuclear site in, in Ukraine. And thereby lies a very curious projection. What is Putin up to? Why is he doing this? Well, we will kind of save that for when we have the discussion uh, of what this data could mean, probably in the third hour, give or take. Now, what's really intriguing is, as we laid out last night, if you look at items four, five, six, and seven in my section, number four is a GO satellite a video of the explosion in uh, the South Pacific back on January 15th. Well, what you don't know, if you've just joined us for tonight for part two of this expose of what we figured out from Maria's latest transmissions in Stonehenge, um, two weeks before, around Christmas, during our famous Christmas weekend, non-stop Friday, Saturday, Sunday transmissions to Oumuamua, we got numbers relating to the latitude, accurate to three significant figures of the location of the Tonga explosion. But we got those numbers from whoever's at the other end of this ET phone call. We got them two weeks before the Tonga event. And just take a look at those images. You know, um, 
I won't go through them tonight. I did last night, so you can, if you join Club 19.5, you'll get a very detailed explanation. I just want to point you to number seven. Look at that geometry. All three-dimensional explosions are spherical. They create spherical shock waves. You have an entropy uh, increase from the center to the uh, outer edge of the expanding shock, and that is a sphere, a bubble, expanding at the uh, speed of sound. In the Tonga event, which was the largest volcanic event recorded since Karakatoa, which had very primitive instrumentation, and in fact may have exceeded the, the megatonnage magnitude of the largest nuclear weapons explosion ever documented on Earth, which was the famous uh, SAR bomb the Soviets uh, detonated back at the beginning of the nuclear age as part of their confrontation with the uh, United States and the Cold War. That was about a 50 megaton blast. Um, this explosion could have exceeded the megatonnage of the SAR bomb detonated by the Soviet Union many decades ago at the height of the Cold War. But the SAR bomb was a spherical detonation. How do we know? There is film transferred to video. This explosion, this Tonga event, was totally different. For one thing, it was not nuclear. Uh, there are very sensitive radiation detectors all over the world because the primary fear of all governments um, is uh, radiation release, either inadvertently from a reactor or deliberately in some kind of nuclear confrontation, God forbid. So the world has been wired for decades to sniff out and detect and relay, obviously in real time by means of satellites and the internet and all that, any increase in radiation anywhere in the world uh, will be picked up by some monitor relatively close by. There was no increased radioactivity from the Tonga explosion, even though it was the most incredible since Karakatoa, and that's an inference, we had no measuring systems really, primitive seismometers for Karakatoa, and it was not nuclear. So what was it? The secret, as I said last night, seems to be in the geometry because the only explosion of energy in a three-dimensional reality that will take on a cubical geometry is a hyper-dimensional intrusion into our reality, into our three-space from a higher state space, four dimensions, five dimensions, six dimensions, etc. Because it comes in the form of two interlocked tetrahedrons. Where have you heard that term before? In connection with our work of hyperdimensional physics, and of course, two interlocked tetrahedrons are in fact a cube. So whatever did Tonga was a hyperdimensional likely extraterrestrial, potentially extra-dimensional entity doing something either as a warning, as a demonstration of inconceivable uh, terror and horror they could loose upon the earth, or it may have been the deliberate destruction of an ancient sacred site in Lemuria 
under the South Pacific from tens of thousands of years ago, again, as a warning, as a demonstration. At this point, the data in the radio transmissions does not tell us. All it told us two weeks ahead of time is pay attention to 20.6, which is exactly where the explosion occurred, which is the south latitude of the Tonga event itself. Now, with that as prelude, we're now looking, David particularly is looking, David Sarita, at the frequencies and the frequency numbers in terms of prediction of other events. So I'll tell you what, uh, let me bring David on. Let me give you a kind of a thumbnail sketch of who our players are tonight, and I say players very loosely. Um, David Sarita is an expert in uh, uh, sacred frequencies. He is, um, has produced and scored music for meditation. He and his wife had a meditation practice and consciousness course series available on audio and video called Quantum Regenesis. And he and his wife developed a company with natural technologies developed both to imprint these frequencies and vibrations uh, in the human um, field through jewelry and crystals. He also designs and makes harmonic field transmitters, which accomplish the same thing. So um, I'll get to our other panelists momentarily. But David, we got a few minutes till the bottom of the hour. Why don't you again give a thumbnail sketch as to how you're analyzing these frequencies and some of the most remarkable latest information that you have derived? Well, first I want to go back to that Tonga again because I was, I'm very curious why it happens so spot on right next to the international dateline. And the international date line is, by definition, is a line that functions as a line of demarcation separating two consecutive calendar dates. So when you cross the date line, you become a time travel of sorts. I was just going to say, my intuition just popped into my head. You know, I, I guess we're kind of in sync on this. Date line means time. And so part of what they were telling us is pay attention to time. Messages right. out of time. That's what I mean. It's symbolic because yep, it's yep, right yep. there. It's amazing how if you look at a map of you just Google people international dateline. It's not a straight line. It's kind of zigzaggy, and it it kind of does a zigzag because of politics. Around. You know, some people wanted right. to be in tomorrow. Some people wanted to be in yesterday, and you know, every geopolitical event is a is a compromise ultimately. So they might be telling us something, again, about time dilation symbolically by picking that spot. And I, I find it interesting because the Tsar Mamba was 56, 58 megatons, which is 2,900 times stronger than the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, which is 20 kilotons. So imagine 29 times, 2,900 times stronger. And the Russians actually stole the hydrogen bomb and the nuclear bomb from Los Alamos National Lab using some really amazing spies. I don't know how they got in there, but they got themselves in there and they got the blueprints. And then they went and made, I mean, a an H bomb that is that is unimaginable. It's well, unimaginable also, also, it was a total demonstration because, given the weight at that time of the technology of a 50-plus mega. I mean, Khrushchev said he wanted 100 megatons, and the physicists in Russia said, uh, sir, you, you can't do that because we can't carry it. 
So 50 megatons was the biggest that an airplane could carry, and it was useless as a war technique. It was only a demonstration as a warning to the West, you know, we can do this if we want to. Right, and, the, and they stole it. So then, Yeah, but that's irrelevant. It's, uh, I know. Well, they, they did it. The bottom line is they have it. So well, they detonated it, so we knew they had it. All right. I just want people to appreciate because when you're saying the Tonga was how many times stronger, like how many megatons well, do they estimate Tonga? Well, the range I've seen is from 18 all the way up to 60 or 70. I mean, there's a huge range, and the reason is that anything close to the blast was destroyed. This is an inference based on the shock waves that circled the world three times, and there are such error bars on shock waves depending upon reflections, refractions, enhancements, you know, you have what's called constructive and destructive interference, that, you know, science is approximate. So we know it was a huge event, but the critical part is it was not a normal nuclear, you know, device because there was no enhanced radioactivity, none, zero. And, and if it was geophysical, we would have seen a tsunami way, way bigger than, than it happened. So... This thing, if it is a weapon demonstration, is that what you're proposing? Well, I'm proposing, and this is going to sound really whacked out, I'm saying that this was the reason that Putin has invaded Ukraine. Because somebody demonstrated in the most remote part of the South Pacific possible the power of this as a weapon. And they then said to him, back channel, you do what we want or else. Because otherwise, Putin is not an idiot. Putin is not dumb. He's a very smart guy. See, another, for him to hang on, hang another on. For, for him to yeah, know what was coming, which will wind up with the utter destruction of Russia economically as a culture, as a as a, a quote empire, and do this anyway when nothing is. He won't even be able to hold Ukraine. He he cannot add Ukraine to Russia because he doesn't have enough troops and the incredible resistance. Remember, he's got one of the best intelligence agencies in the world, the FSB, the idea that he went in expecting them to strew flowers in the paths of the Russians is, is nuts. It's all mainstream people trying to figure out within a box why this person, who up until now has been incredibly rational and acted totally in Russia's intelligent self-interest, has apparently gone off the rails. I'm saying that the coincidence in time between two incredibly unique events, one, the Tonga demonstration of unlimited power, and two, Putin acting in a berserk, bizarre, totally illogical manner in doing something he cannot win and will only wind up with the, the death of Russia, only makes sense if you put them together and basically look at the idea that he may have been given a, a choice which was not a choice at all. Um, kind of like the mafia. Right, and, and the, the Bikini Atoll is, is right up above this where we were t formerly testing nuclear weapons. So you're in the vicinity of, of a historical region of, of testing. So it's not so far-fetched, you know, if anybody thinks it's far-fetched, that this could be because if you have a non-radioactive weapon that has that kind of blast force, then see this would be the biggest predicament is if you use nuclear weapons, you're going to render 
the ecology of that region useless for a very long time. I'm actually amazed how Japan reclaimed Nagasaki and Hiroshima. I mean, they must have done a lot of soil removal and and reclamation. Yeah, to because some of these radioactive sites. nuclides were running out of time at the bottom of the hour. They last tens of thousands of years. You know, long Absolutely. Yeah. Every radionuclide has different half-lives. So. Yep. Like tritium has a short half-life, and that's used in H-bombs, but the, the core of the H-bomb is still radioactive, you know, uranium, explosive uranium isotopes. I'll tell you what, and hold it you, there. We're at the bottom yep. of the hour, and in honor of the Ukraines are putting up an incredible fight against overwhelming odds, and they're pulling it off, thank God, with a little help from their friends around the world, because um, this cannot stand, and that's a whole longer program, but I thought we would play tonight the Ukrainian National Anthem, just for brave people. We shall return. with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globalone's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency, you're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West, and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the, the Western powers that are English-speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on, 
I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis really to drive a, a political agenda. And the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case. If you look at what Mr. Globaloni is up to, they are recreating slavery. And the, the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight, but there are already, uh, I think, some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell. And for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news. Welcome back, everyone, to this Sunday night edition of The Other Side of Midnight here from the Land of Enchantment, where up until today it's been really like spring, and the temperatures are now down in the 40s during the day, and it's just about freezing right now. And there's no heat in this studio except what I bring in, so uh, if my teeth chatter a bit, you'll understand why. Well, back to David. Uh, uh, regardless of how the Tonga event took place, it seems to me the idea that someone cared enough to send the very best and they were sending us the heads up two weeks before this literally unprecedented event, following that up with the second experiment and transmissions that Maria got uh, from uh, the February 20th uh, radio receptions around her um, being able to transmit next to, not inside, but relatively close within a few hundred feet of Stonehenge. I mean, that's a trend curve. So I'm thinking that there is a lot of data that we haven't had a chance to go through. And then a couple nights ago, you uh, called me up and you said, well, if I turn the radio on right now and I put on the frequency meter or I record the transmission through the speaker and then I look at it, you know, in uh, delayed time as a recording, they're giving me a whole bunch of new sites 
inside Ukraine, which again is after the war has started, but before maybe the next series of events were going to take place. So what are some of those lat longs and have you figured out yet what they're trying to say? Well, definitely, because this new you know, thesis put to the test that the numbers I'm getting, again, what I'm doing is I took Maria's recordings of the of her recording of the frequency response from the um, you know the the 10th of February and was it the 20th of February or the 10th? The tw- well, the first one was on the fourth. Her second effort was on the 20th. It's the 20th. So I, I'm talking about the 20th. And so when I I put my frequency meter in front of my very good speakers. Which um, and I start. I make a video of my meter responding to the frequency playback from her recording, and I look at the numbers frame by frame. And when I look at the numbers, there was one section where I got a solid um, north latitude for the north face of the Great Pyramid of Egypt, which is twenty nine point nine seven nine nine north latitude. So. It was solid for many seconds, whereas normally the numbers are jumping around. Then I got all these other numbers, and I was doing my Latin longs. And if you go to my David's items on the other side of midnight and you look at your item number one, we went over this last night, you can see that I got numbers whose square root gave me the lat and long of a site very close to the um, the nuclear power plant, the second nuclear power plant that the uh, Russian army invaded, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is Europe's largest nuclear power plant. And it's important to note these power plants are designed to withstand the impact of a 747. I mean, I'm talking about the dome, um, you know, not the office buildings, but the actual dome. So I decided to test another hypothesis. And, that, and the reason I tested this other hypothesis is I kept asking myself, why do I keep seeing Great Pyramid numbers? Because in Maria's data, again, I also got, and I also got on my radio following her transmission by several days, I kept getting the the square of two royal cubits. And two royal cubits is the most common measurement in the Great Pyramid, according to Peter de Missouriers. And it's interesting to note that in Peter de Missouriers' Great Pyramid decoded, he mathematically decodes a a past, present, and future timeline of events. And 2025, plus or minus three years, which puts us at 2022, is the total collapse of the material civilization is the translation of that window. So it's Oh, that's that comforting. Huh. The total – but what happens after that is actually very incredibly positive, which – in in his in his decoding, we see the beginning of the of the messianic return, the great initiate returns to Earth, and and it's interesting how many psychics like Gene Dixon predicted 2025. There were many many psychics who predicted a, a second coming of Christ in 2025, but Le does this mathematically. He's not doing it by any psychic means. It's all in the numbers. So I found that fascinating also. So what what I decided to test, which is in my item two, 
is that the eye of Horus and the eye of – if you go on the great seal of the United States on the back of your dollar, you see the eye above the pyramid. The eye above the pyramid is the all-seeing eye of, 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 of Ra and the all-seeing eye of, of Horus. So it's the all-seeing eye. So the, I had this theory. What if this whole theater of war – is, is reflecting in and out of the north face of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. So I, I looked at the ne a number on from Maria's, this is Maria's reception of her transmission on the 20th of February, four days before the invasion. And the second number, 1976.37 kilometers, using the measuring tool on Google Earth took me right from the north face of the Great Pyramid right into the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And <laughs> oh, you can't to, make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. And so I and I thought, well, it, if it's really happening this way, um, then, then I got to get more numbers like that. So if you come down to my item seven, and I did this all, during the show last night, if you click on 7A, Chernobyl reference, I got the same thing. I mean, this is exact, folks. So I'm using the measuring tool on Google Earth. I pick my north face on the Great Pyramid of Egypt at 29.9799 north latitude, and I drag my ruler all the way to Chernobyl. Now, remember, day one, February 24th, when the Russians invaded Kiev, they went to Chernobyl, and they and they overtook the Chernobyl nuclear disaster site and my measurement is 22.2253 kilometers takes me right into chernobyl i mean exactly so there's my second beyond coincidence and then my third i got a third one which actually took me from the great pyramid of egypt to the city of kiev the southern part so just outside the southern boundary of the city, and that, of course, would have been where the the Russian armies would assemble themselves before invading. And then, and that that's phenomenal. That's twenty three hundred sixty seven point seven two kilometers between the Great Pyramid. So what what I and 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 our target. So what I'm saying is these numbers came in Maria's data, which and, was and four that, days before. Putin invaded Ukraine. Exactly. And this is where he starts his invasion. He starts his invasion coming at Kiev. And yeah, he... but wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on. I don't think we want to go beyond the numbers. Kiev, okay, so... Kiev hang on, hang on. The invasion, that huge 40-mile-long you know, convoy of tanks and artillery well, and all that, that's coming down from Belarus. Yeah, but that's later. And what's interesting, Richard, yeah, is but on there, my there, radio. there is there is nobody even close to Kiev from the south. They're not okay, marching. No, wait a second. Go no, ahead. no, that, that's not how. That, okay, try and imagine this. Okay, the night just after Maria's transmission, the the night of the the, the second day of the invasion. I'm listening on my radio. I'm going to turn my radio on right now, and I want you to note this. That at 4:32, my radio is normally quiet. But ever since Maria did her second transmission on the 20th, when I turn this radio on, I get numbers in the static. So I'm going to turn it on. This is 4:32, and this is what it sounds like. And, and normally it's dead quiet. 
So if I take my meter right now, you can't see this, but I just got a a number that looks like a um, latitude number that's in the region of the conflict. Now, what I do is I do Latin longs, but I also take my measuring tape. Now, what's amazing is I got three positions on the Belarus side above Kiev and Chernobyl, three. But this is on my radio, not Maria's. I'm, I'm separating Maria's data. So what's up on your site right now in my items? That's Maria's data. But I'm getting constant every night all these locations. I've gotten three locations in Belarus, and I've gotten locations in the Black Sea. I've gotten – I, in fact, why is my radio giving me Latin longs only for this region right now? There's nowhere else on the planet where these numbers well, are Well, because Ukraine up. and the Russia confrontation is pivotal to – global future geopolitics for a huge number of reasons. Yeah, but so that means our source, wherever we're getting these transmissions from, which could be interfacing off of the Great Pyramid as some sort of giant transistor or semiconductive oscillator, because it's kind of acting like radar works, like radar will give you a radar return on your target and tell you where it is and how far away it is because it bounces to and fro at the speed of light off your target. So why is are the measurements from the Great Pyramid to the targets so accurate? I mean, talking 99.99% accuracy here on my measuring tape. So I'm, I'm, I've been doing this on my own here, and I've got targets all over the place. So if I separate Maria's data... Because we now know from the press that we have a launching airstrip somewhere in Europe where we're going to be supplying them, fight you know fighter jets and anti-tank missiles. Well, from from uh, Poland, Poland's going to give Ukraine its old MiGs, you know, newer. Yeah, ones, but they're but... not giving out the location of that base. Right. But I think I'm seeing it, <laughs> and, and well, I'm don't, not going to give out the. Exactly. No, I, 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 I would not give it to the Russians. Okay. No, I wouldn't give it to the radio tonight. But I can tell you, I can see it. So the the point is, why can I see it? Is this the all-seeing eye of? Is the Great Pyramid activated? Yeah, but David, right I, I I think these are twenty-fifth level questions. We have no mm -hmm. way of calibrating scientifically any who, why, how, what, when, and where other than the what. We've got the what. The what is predictive. It's predictive of major world class changing events. And that seems to be a trend curve that we should follow. And, you know, in terms of uh, Giza to Kiev, the fact that it's within the city limits, we have no idea what that other point really, really means or what time it refers to, except that Kiev is the target of Putin to kill the government to denazify in his absurd claim. You know, come on, Ukraine has a Jewish president, the only other nation on the planet other than Israel with a Jewish president. So the whole premise well, no, of— Well, you got to remember, under Stalin, they, they were executing Jews, and they, they became— Christians to hide their their identity. Yeah, again, these so are details we don't, David. We don't need to know. Yeah. Don't drill down so yeah. deep. We only have three hours. I want to move. Yes. 
I'm sorry. Uh, this might be pertinent to all of that. I don't know. The Deputy Minister of Defense... Uh, this is Ron Gerbron, by the way, our resident generalist. Oh. Yeah, and curmudgeon. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the Deputy Minister of De- for Defense of Belarus uh, resigned his post two days ago, saying that the, um, he, he wasn't, wasn't down with the invasion. And Good for him. him a lot. I know. may cause him a lot of trouble. I sent... I sent Kinfi a link to the um, one of the stories about it. I just thought I'd throw that in there since you. Well, the uh, reason I think David yeah. was getting was getting the the border between Belarus and Ukraine is because that's where these peace talks that were arranged between the Ukrainians and the Belarusians for a couple of of, of efforts were held. A delegation from Ukraine went north. And they literally were on the border, so it was kind of neutral. So again, but see, this is imputing meaning that is basically above our pay grade. We cannot know the reasons we're getting the numbers. The only thing we can look at at the moment is 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 the location hugely, significantly specific. And in, in terms of three sets of numbers that David has gotten, the location of the peace talks, the location of Chernobyl, the location of the big nuclear reactor to the southeast of Chernobyl. Uh, that's all we got so far. And then you got a bunch of other numbers. I would say but what you need to do is go and find the lat longs of all the other nuclear reactors in Ukraine and see if those are coming up as predictive events for where the Russians are going to move next. That's a great idea. I'll work on that this week, and I'll I'll get those numbers. I mean, the number I just got—you just heard me turn on my radio—is actually the number that just came in is the square of the location of the Great Pyramid. So if I take twenty-nine point nine two nine point nine seven nine nine, which is the north face of the Great Pyramid, and this is very precise, and I square it, I get eight nine eight. Point seven nine. Now that just came in just now, and that static. You just so heard, it's redundant. Be... So there's a data it's stream redundant. which is kind of so like an the... AI running the same tape over and over and over and over again. So whenever but you, you see... dip into it, you're going to get significant information. So you see why the the pyramid, the north face is staring right into the battlefield. It's like an eye. And you think of the east face and the south face and the west face of the Great Pyramid. That's how accurate the measurements are. You can differentiate between literally almost individual stones on the on the face of the pyramid. Okay, I want to I want to move on to how another researcher is doing this. Uh, John Womack is with us. John has many different uh, arrows in his quiver. Among other things, he brings a psychic element, and a lot of this audience is familiar with that idea, that we're mixing, you know, other realm, other dimensional sensory systems. Uh, He does out-of-body. He's been doing out-of-body flying and experiencing and travel since he was a kid. Uh, He's also a state-of-the-art uh, producer. He does incredibly detailed animations. He does frequency analysis. Um, he's another generalist technologist with a um, paranormal bent. I'm using that term in quotes. So, John, you've been very busy trying to decode uh, the frequency spread of this information, and you gave us some information last night 
but tonight we're going to get a real um, download of some very important new information. Yes. Uh, one thing I'll be showing tonight is the stark difference between the signals we've been receiving prior to Maria and then Maria's signals. And it is pretty stark. And, and let me lay out for you on this again. The big difference between prior Oumuamua experimental transmissions with one foray into, you know, sending messages to the moon, which is, by the way, how we got back to Stonehenge because the number 56 popped up in David's frequency analysis, and he had no idea what 56 meant. And I said, oh, my God, that's the number of Aubrey holes in Stonehenge. So it made us look at Stonehenge. So the second phase of this transmission sequence has involved Maria taking the little handheld radio, the Baofeng Chinese radio, which has an 8-watt transmitter on a dipole antenna out the top, and sending some pre-recorded signals from within Stonehenge for the first time on the 4th, on the, you know, 4th of February, and then close to Stonehenge. And by the way, uh, Maria is under the weather tonight, so she can't be with us, but what we put up as her new items, number one and two, uh, Keith was able to get this up this afternoon. If you click on her fast links, it'll take you to her section. Item one is a perspective view of the uh, Wilshire countryside. At the bottom is the location at a place called uh, uh, Bumford's Inn or something, uh, where she did her first transmission. And the upper red dot right next to the yellow indicator saying Stonehenge is where she did her second transmission. And she's recording everything between those two locations for uh, over two hours, almost three hours. And the item number two is a close-up uh, of her sitting by the road because you can't go up that white road now that's been closed off by uh, English Heritage unless you pay a fee. Um, but you're, she was able to sit there within about a thousand feet and record for a couple hours, more than two hours, uh, what John and Thomas and David have been analyzing. So that will give you a kind of a lay of the land and, and reinforce the idea, which Robin and I discovered when we went to Chichen Itza, that you can be miles away from these sacred sites and they function as amplifiers in a huge bubble in a huge field extending for miles around them and maybe even more than just a few miles maybe tens of miles or hundreds of miles we haven't tested that yet the the thing is that most of the data we're going to talk about tonight is part of this incredible return from the receiving messages we got uh, both on Maria's radios as well as other people independently uh, as she transmitted from those two locations on those maps. So, John, please continue. Well, I'd like to start with number four in my items. So if you go to the other side of midnight.com and click on tonight's show banner, it takes you to the show page, and you click on the fast links for John. Oh, my gosh. So wow. number four is what I see when I open this in my – I use Adobe Audition, which is pretty sophisticated spectral analysis software. And – I don't know how to use a lot of it. I'm just kind of playing around. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, let's learn I'm as you go. 
I am. I'm learning this. Now, do we have, can you play us something so we can hear just with our own ears what Maria's recordings sound like? Uh, Yes, I can. Um, Let me do one of these tone sweeps is what I, I call them. And you can see these. There are yellow lines running left to right, and they have gentle, gentle slopes. Do you see those, Richard? Yeah, sure, and, sure. I, yeah, I, I want okay. to be able to play what they sound like yes. as we're looking at the visual spectrum of what they look like on a graph. Okay. Can you make it louder? playing that's from the last block of data on the right side of this graph okay uh, it's hard to hear let me let me play something from the middle area it might be easier for folks to hear the the tone here nope nope i don't hear anything don't Just, hear it, it, it sounds like noise this is why you need technology because technology yes, can reach down and look into these frequencies, put plots together, and we see there is coherent information against what sounds to the ear like noise. Yes. So I open it up in my software, and I, I see this image in number four. And then in number 4A, if you open that in another tab, these are the first things that strike me as unusual. Number one, look how purple that area is, this pause in the recording. To the left of the number one, you see a red column that says send. That is the signal that Tom put together, you know, with some tones that represent pi and chakra frequencies and and this kind of thing. It's an encoded message. So he's sending that, and then you have where it says number one, there's this pause before the receptions start happening. And in all the previous recordings, there's a background wash. So what what this appears to me is that her being at Stonehenge, it affects different characteristics in different ways. So the background noise that we hear on all of your recordings, Richard, and Michael Hill and David, all of them have this background noise that is often associated with walkie-talkies and so forth. But on Maria's, for some reason, it's basically silent. It's so low that it's below 20 hertz. I'll tell you what, we're at the top of the hour. I don't want to miss our breaks tonight. John, we will come back to you. You're on the other side of midnight, everyone. This is uh, Pink Floyd, one of my favorite groups just seems to resonate with what we're doing. This is Welcome to the Machine. Are we literally talking to a machine, a computer, a computer network hooked in through an ancient, ancient human internet known as the connection of sacred sites by uh, ley lines and ley rivers all over the world. We're testing so many things in this experiment, and the key to a good experiment is to separate the things that you are testing. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. 
Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.